0: it 's uh, wonderful to be here. Um, thank you so much for that lovely introduction. Um, I uh, want to say big thank you to uh, to Pastor Brad uh, and Sarah for inviting me to come along and it 's always a great thrill uh, This is one of my most fa- uh, favorite places to preach because it 's quite close to where I live and uh, <laughs> So it's just, uh, it's just wonderful. I'm doing daddy daycare at the moment. Uh, my wife has just uh, hopped over to India, uh, to Mumbai for a week. Uh, our best friends have planted a church over there, and so she's over there hanging out. And, uh, and so I'm doing daddy daycare this week, praise the Lord. So to all the single parents out there, uh, I just want to say you're legends and... Um, <laughs> And uh, really looking forward to my, wife, uh, to my wife coming home. Also to uh, the Samoans here, um, God bless you. Um, congratulations on your victory the other night uh, in the rugby league uh, against Tonga. Um, you know, I guess that's probably two or three times in a row. So I think officially um, we can say that you probably are better at um, Rugby League than what we are, and just like ever since the 2007 Rugby Union World Cup, Tonga's better at union. So um, <coughs> have your little league victory, praise God. So uh, amen, so it's wonderful to be here, and um, just excited to uh, be here with you and in God's presence, and thank you so much. If um, you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 8, Genesis chapter 8, going to be reading verses 15 to 20, uh, shouldn't be too hard to find, uh, kind of goes table of contents, Genesis, Genesis uh, chapter 8 uh, and as you're turning there just letting you know uh, that wherever I travel I always take some of my resource with me, uh, got a couple of items here with me today that I've not brought here before, uh, one of them uh, is a bunch of uh, messages on CD uh, three CDs uh, and and they're all messages about overcoming so one's called Getting Through a Valley uh, one's called Get Over It uh, and another one is actually a message that I'm going to do this morning uh, and I'll share obviously more about that later on. Also um, I've got an EP from a youth conference that I actually started in Mackay uh, 16 years ago uh, and it's called Extreme Youth Conference and they have six, 700 young people from all around central Queensland coming to it and it's really known as a conference of the uh, of the presence of God. Uh, and uh, the worship team up there have put together an EP. Uh, so if you're interested in adding that to your worship collection, uh, you'll be blessed. And also a book I've brought here before. It's called Triumph Through Tough Times. Uh, and in this book, uh, a number of pastors from around Australia talk about how God got us through some tough times in our life. Because who knows that even though you're a Christian doesn't mean you never have a tough time. Uh, and in this book, I talk about what I'm actually going to share with you today. So if you're interested, feel free to check that out at The at a table down the back after the service. Genesis chapter 8 verses 15 to 20 says this. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that's with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. title of my message this morning is called After the Flood. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just ask and pray that you would release today the spirit of an overcomer. I thank you and I praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, To be honest, today is probably more of a testimony uh, than it is a sermon. Uh, Towards the end of every year, I always pray about a theme for the following year. The Lord gives me a word for every year. And at the end, towards the end of 2010, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, 2011, open heaven. I was really excited about that but it brought on a whole new meaning to me in the second week of January in 2011. You see, I've got a house by the banks of the Brisbane River. Uh, Across the road from where I live is a fence, and then there's a uh, 20-metre drop... Down to the Brisbane River, but the second week of January, as many of us may remember, there was all this flooding all around through Queensland. All this flooding in the Lockyer Valley. The second week of January, the river rose to the point where it went a meter and a half through the second story of our house. The very next day, the Bible College that I ran, which is in the in the Brisbane suburb at the time, which is a Brisbane suburb of New Farm, had a meter of water go through that as well. So in the space of two days, my workplace and my home were completely inundated. And it went upon the craziest year that I've ever embarked on, I've ever had in my life. You can imagine that when you go through an unusual experience, that you learn different lessons. And so today I want to talk to you about different lessons I learned after having gone through that experience. But before we do that in just a few moments, what I'm going to do is show you some video footage. Uh, basically what had happened was that our, after our house got flooded, me and some friends went back to empty the contents of our house, and I found out that one of the guys who was coming uh, was the ch- was our church cameraman and so i thought well what i'll get him to do is i'll get him to take video footage of our house as we find it so that then people from uh so that you know my family or oh, sorry f- so that the insurance company could see what our house looked like when we found it i also then realized that well all my family live in victoria or my wife's family live up in far north queensland and so none of them were going to be able to come and help us and so i thought what i might do is put together a little documentary Uh, to show them what it was like at the time of the flood. Um, then, as I mentioned to you, um, after our house flooded, actually the Bible College flooded, and the Bible College was based at my home church as one of their church venues. And so the following Sunday, there was going to be churches all around the world that were going to receive an offering for our church in order to help with the refurbishment and that sort of thing. And so what they wanted to do was that they wanted to put together a video and some footage so that they could show at these churches before they receive the offering. The problem was that the cameraman was at my house and so when they put together all these different uh, when they put together all these different um, this video to show around the world most of the footage was actually of my house and also a little bit there's a little bit of grainy footage of the new farm campus as well so that's what we're going to so what you're going to see is basically like church news uh, the Sunday after our house got flooded so if we can show that now that would be awesome Five lessons I learned after the Brisbane floods. First lesson I learnt was this: I learnt more about God, which is really interesting because I'd been a Christian a long time, and I thought I knew most things that needed to be known about God. But the first thing, I, the thing I learned about God is this: that He's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Being a Christian doesn't mean you never have any trouble, but it means that if you do, you've got someone who's with you to help you every step of the way. The Bible says in Psalms 46 verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When people talk to me, sometimes people would say to me, they'd say things like, Ben, you know, did this uh, rattle your faith in God? And I said, no, no, this didn't shake my faith in God. I've been through too much stuff with the Lord. A little bit of water in my house isn't going to shake my faith. And being a Christian doesn't mean you never never have any trouble. But it does mean that in in the midst of the trouble, God is there to help you. Even in the midst of this, God was helping me all the way through this time. God even helped me before the flood came. The week before the flood, I was at home. I was doing my devotions and I was reading about how the Israelites evacuated Egypt and when they did I felt the Holy Spirit say to me you're going to do that soon and I thought, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Am I changing city? Am I changing job? I, I didn't know what that meant. And then all of a sudden, I remember, oh sorry, well all that week there was all this rain in southeast Queensland and there, there was a lot of flooding started happening in the Lockyer Valley. There was no warnings to us or anything like that. I remember even the night before the flood came to our place, I was talking to my neighbours and I said, do you, anything's, do you think anything's going to happen to us? And they said, no, no. They said, we'll be fine. There's a dam there. It's going to catch it all. We'll be perfect fine. And then so I noticed all this flooding in the Lockyer Valley. I woke up on the Tuesday morning. No one in my street was moving. And the Holy Spirit said, this is what I was talking about. Get out of here. And I was like, right, okay. And so I got up and I said to my wife, I said, babe, we've got to get out of here. And she said to me, I just want to stay and see what happens. And I said, no. I said, we've got to get out of here. And so then we packed. I was going to leave the dog behind. Uh, I was going to leave the dog downstairs. Did you want to change this? The breath of God. Is that cool? Okay, awesome. I was you're right, you're right, no worries. And so I said, uh, I said to my wife, I said, you know, we need to get out of here. And she says, no, I want to stay and see what happens. And I said, no, God told me to get out of here. And so we moved everything from downstairs up to the second story, which in the end was completely useless. I remember saying to, uh, I remember thinking to myself, well, I'll just leave the dog behind. She'll be fine. And we'll come back the next, oh, he'll be fine. And then we'll come back, you know, later on. Because I didn't think the, you know, the, the flood was going to get all that high. And so I went looking for the dog. His name was Oscar and he was in the Corner of the laundry, cowering and whimpering, and I thought to myself, "Animals have a sixth sense about these sort of things." I thought I better just, you know, take him with us. And so we went. We we didn't have, you know, we had like one change of clothes each. We hopped in the car and then we drove out. I found out later that within two hours we would have been flooded in, unable to drive out our cars. Later that evening, they were evacuating people from our street in boats, but not me because he's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Being a Christian doesn't mean you never have any trouble, but it means that if you do, you've got someone who's with you to help you every step of the way. Immature Christians don't understand that. They think that when they get a little bit of trouble, then they turn their back on God, as if walking the Christian life is not supposed to have any problems. No, no, we sometimes still have the same problems that other people have. But in the midst of that, we've got someone who's with us to help us every step of the way. The second thing I learned was this. I learned more about priorities. The flood really reinforced to me about what's important. People would say to me, uh, the first thing they'd say is they'd say, Ben, did you get your valuables out? And I said, yes, every one of them. My wife, my three sons and my dog. (laughs) And I said, but everything else we lost. But here's the thing. What I learned was this. Everything we lost was replaceable. Everything we saved was irreplaceable. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, we evacuated on the Monday. I didn't hear anything. I didn't really know what was going on. I woke up on the Tuesday morning uh, hoping that we hadn't been flooded or at least that it hadn't gone into our second story. First thing I did was I looked at my phone. I had a text message from a senior pastor, Paul Geerling, and he said, Ben, I'm so sorry to hear about what's happening in your area. And I'm like... I don't even know what's happening in my area. So as you do in a natural disaster, you turn on to the ABC to hear updates. And as I turned it on, they were interviewing the mayor of Ipswich, which is the city where I live, a guy named uh, Paul Pasali. And they interviewed him and they said, "Paul, how's the flood in Ipswich?" He said, "Not good." And they said, "What's the worst suburb?" And he named my suburb. And they said, "What's the worst street?" And he named my street. And then they said, how bad is it? Has it started entering houses? He said, yes, it hasn't peaked yet, but it's already over the roof of first-story dwellings. As Soon as he said that, I knew for the first time that where our whole house was flooded, hit me like a ton of bricks. Right at that time, Paul Gilling rang me, started talking to him. He said, Ben, are you all right? I just started crying on the phone. I remember I heard him talk to his wife, Jo, next to him and said, Ben's not doing too good. Then after chatting to him for a little while, I did what every gray man does. I rang my mum. So I rang my mum. (laughs) And and, uh, I started talking to her. She says, Ben, are you all right? I just started crying on the phone. As soon as I did that, I heard my dad who was standing next to her. He said, give me the phone. So he grabs the phone. He says, Ben, are you all right? I said, yes. He goes, is Trish all right? I said, yes. He goes, are the boys all right? I said, yes. He goes, Oscar, the dog, is he all right? And I said, yes. And then he said this, well, it's not that bad then, is it? He said it could have been a whole lot worse. He said, I heard what happened in Lockyer Valley yesterday. People got swept away. Nobody died in your flood. It's not that bad. And you know what? He's right. Everything we lost was replaceable. But everything we saved was irreplaceable. But isn't it funny how sometimes in our society we get our priorities a little bit mixed up? that we will sacrifice the things that are more important in order to pursue the stuff. Well, let me tell you, as somebody who lost all the stuff for a few weeks, all that stuff is replaceable. But the other things, things such as our family, our friends, our relationships, our church and our faith, all those things are irreplaceable. And we need to make sure that we don't sacrifice the things that are irreplaceable in pursuit of the stuff that is replaceable. We evacuated our house, and then I got a message on the Thursday. We evacuated on the tu- on the Tuesday, got a message on the Thursday, and then I, it was a friend of mine who lived near me, and he said, "Ben, you can actually see where your pro- you can actually see your house now. You can go stand across the road from it." So we went and we parked, and my wife and I we walked forty five minutes, sometimes in knee deep water, to go and stand across the road on dry ground, across the road from our house. We couldn't go in there yet because it was still there was still a lot of water there. We were able to stand across the road and look at it. When we got there I saw two of my neighbors their names were Alan and Russell and I saw them there and they had a tinny there and a, a boat and I thought well they must have just arrived so I said to them I said guys when did you get here and they said what do you mean I said well we, we just got here now when did you get here and they said what do you mean I said well when did you arrive they said well we've been here the whole time I said what do you mean they said we've been here the whole time we haven't left I said in what I said this tinny so basically what had happened was that they rode out the flood in their tinny tied to a telephone pole at the front of the Goodna Rugby League Club. And they said, and they are experienced boaties, but they said they've never been in a current like it. They said there was a number of times when they thought they were going to capsize. And they said they saw coming down the river cars, shipping containers, semi-trailers and light aircraft. And I said to them, I said, well, did you stay there the whole time? And they said, no, no, they said at one point we did have to leave because the police came over to us in a boat and said, we've got to get out of here. And we said, we're not leaving our houses. And the police said, well, you better start moving because the Mogul car ferry up the river's coming loose and it's probably going to start heading your way. And they said, okay. And so then they left. (laughs) And then they came back later. We chatted to them for a while and then Trish and I left and went back to our emergency accommodation. I remember thinking to myself... Mate, those guys, they're tough. Me, I'm a wuss. They rode it out three days, risking their lives in their tinnies out the front of their houses. Me, I just cut and run. But upon reflection, <laughs> I realised that yes, they are pretty tough, but they are pretty crazy as well. One of them has kids. I wonder what the kids were thinking, were thinking for three days. How's my toys? Or how's my dad? Sometimes we get our priorities a little bit mixed up. The third thing I learnt was this. I learnt more about the church, which is interesting because I've been going to church my whole life and I thought I knew everything there was to know about the church. But after this experience, I've had a revelation about the church that I've never had before. Massive revelation for me. The revelation I've had about the church is this, big revelation. The revelation I've had is this, that I need it. That's a big deal for me because I'm a pastor. I'm used to the church needing me, but not necessarily me needing the church. I've learned that if things aren't going my way, if life is a struggle, I've still got to come and do my thing. And so you kind of learn to harden up a little bit and you just kind of learn to ride things out. And you kind of subconsciously think, well, you know what? I can pretty well handle most things that come at me in life. And really, the church needs me, but I don't really need the church. Until. I got hit with something so hard I couldn't handle it all by myself. You may have heard of people who had to spend time in evacuation centres. I didn't spend a second in an evacuation centre. From the time that people heard that our house got flooded, a number of families said, we will evacuate our houses and let you stay at our house for as long as you want. And so then we moved out and stayed in someone's house. And then after that, we had other friends say to us, they said, listen, uh, you can stay in our house for three weeks. So we went and stayed in their house for three weeks while we were trying to sort out everything at our house. You may have heard that people struggled to find a rental property but great friends of ours said we've got a rental coming available uh, on this particular date and it was the day that we needed to leave this other house and so we went and spent time there that whole time that we were in emergency accommodation my wife didn't cook a meal we had that much potato bacon lasagna (laughs) it was unbelievable in that time one of my sons my middle son joshua was turning five and so I said to my wife, Trish, I said, babe, we can't put on anything for him. We, we're not even in our own house. I said, we've just got to, you know, do what we've got to do. And, and look, we'll, we'll just wait till we settle down. In a few months' time, he'll get over and he won't even realise. We'll just have a party for him a few months down the track. But on his birthday, we had some friends from church contact us. And they said, we're coming over. And they came over with streamers. They came over with party food. They came over with presents. And we had a party for Joshua on his birthday. It's a good thing to be part of a local church when I left the ha- when we evacuated the house I didn't take any uh, to, any extra clothes I, I just had two shirts and I remember the week leading into church uh, I, I was relieved I didn't have to I didn't have to go to church or do anything but my wife and I said you know what we just want to go to church so we went to church that day and I was wearing my last clean shirt when I got there, one of my friends, uh, his name was Robert, he's a man in his, 60, uh, in his 50s uh, and he's a South African man and he came up to me and he was holding these shirts on a hanger and he said, Pastor Ben, I have these shirts for you. I said, awesome, thank you, Robert. I said, where'd you get them from? He goes, I got them from DFO. Now, the DFO he got it from wasn't the one up at the airport, it was the one at Jindalee which got flooded. So I said to him, how'd you get them from DFO. And then he told me the story. What had actually happened was the week before he was in DFO, and he walked past, play, past a place called Giordano's, and he saw that they had some shirts on special. And he thought to himself, I must buy these shirts. So he went in and he bought these shirts and he brought them home. When he brought them home, he showed his wife Esther, and he said, Esther, look at these shirts. And she said, what are you doing with those shirts? She says, and, you know, she goes, a man of your age, why, you, why would you buy shirts like this? You've never worn shirts like that before. These were the shirts. The first one was bright fluorescent orange. The second one was bright fluorescent pink. And the third one was pink with chocolate stripes. And this is what she said to him. You have never worn shirts like that before. They're the kind of shirts Pastor Ben would wear. Then a couple of days after that, the flood came. They heard we were flooded and he thought to himself, this is why I've got the shirts. So he brought them to church that day for me. tags still on and on their hangers. I'm glad I went to church that day. (laughs) It's a good thing to be part of a local church. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.9.10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. You know, in our society with the proliferation of churches, sometimes we get a little bit of a consumer mindset. And so we're kind of like, oh, over there, I just love the preaching. It's just amazing. And over there, oh, the worship team, they've just got, really got it going on. And, oh, the kids' program, they are just fantastic. And so what happens is people can often grab, um, you know, move around from church to church and only stay there for a couple of years. But then they come up with some funny ideas, start saying silly things like, oh, there's no love in the church and all that sort of stuff. But really what's happened is they haven't stayed anywhere long enough for people to get to know them. And the thing is this, more than the preaching, more than the teaching, more than the worship style and more than the facilities we need to be part of a christian community we need to be part of a place where people actually get to know us and maybe you're like me that you only get hit with something hard once every 20 years let me tell you it's a good thing to be part of the local church the fourth thing i learned was this i learned more about australia people say to uh, people always ask me you know what's it like being in a natural disaster and i say well if you're going to be in a natural disaster best place to be is australia Seriously Because in Australia People will help you out in Australia, people will look after the battler. Not only were we helped out by the local church, but we were actually helped out by different parts of society as well. remember one time I was at home by myself and, and uh, I was just out the front. I was doing some work on uh, filling out an insurance claim and that sort of thing. And, and I remember a bunch of Samoan boys came up walking down the street and they, come, and they got shovels and they got, you know, brooms. And one of them comes up to me, the leader, and he goes, he goes, uh, hey, bro. He goes, do you need any help, bro? And I said, yeah, actually, because um, what happens is when your house gets flooded, there's all this silt that comes through the, the property, and, it's, and you know, it's the last thing you worry about, but, but that's all I really had to do. And I said, well, if you wouldn't mind, I said, if you could dig up this silt and take it to the nature strip, the council will come and get it. And he goes, no worries, bro. And so he was there and he started working, him and all these other guys started working on it. Then all of a sudden, one of the other guys in the team comes up to me and starts talking to me and, and he starts witnessing to me. He he says, hey, bro, he goes, you go to church? He goes, because we go to the Mormon church. And I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor at a Pentecostal church. And he goes, oh, see ya. And then he just walks off. (laughs) Uh, There was another time when we were at home and these uh, bunch of Aussies, a couple of Aussies turned up at about 7am and what, is hap- what was happening was that me and my friends, we were gutting the inside of the house and throwing everything downstairs, all the gyprock fixtures and fittings and that sort of thing. And so 7am, these couple of Aussies yell out to me, they said, hey mate, do you need a hand? And I said, yeah, I said, that'd be great. I said, if you guys could stand down here, we'll throw all this stuff out and if you could take it out, that would be great. And I go, no worries mate, there's a couple of blokes, never met them before. A few hours later I went downstairs, I started talking to them, I said, guys, thank you so much for helping me. I said, where are you guys from? And they said, oh, we're from Springwood, mate. I said, oh, Springwood. And I thought, well, I was interested to know how long it would take to get to our place from Springwood. It usually takes about half an hour, but I thought it might be a bit longer with road closures. So I said, oh, how long did it take you to get here today? They said, oh, we left last night. I said, mate, it doesn't take you that long to get here from Springwood. They said, no, mate, not Springwood, Queensland. Springwood Blue Mountains, New South Wales. I said, well, what are you doing here? They said, well, we saw your street on the news last night, thought people needed a hand, so we drove in our cars and here we are. I said, oh, thank you so much for helping me. They said, what do you do, mate? I said, oh, I'm a pastor at a church. He goes, really? Well, you go tell your church a couple of atheists come and help you today. <laughs> Later on that day, had a bunch of men turn up bunch of people that were really nice they had yellow t-shirts on the front and it's on the front it said church of scientology <laughs> yeah. they were really nice people one of the guys was a bit crazy started jumping up and down all the couches but the rest of them were completely fine <laughs> we got helped by all these different parts of society we also got helped by buddhists we got helped by local businesses other people strangers in the community all these people came and helped us and, and not only us they helped all the people in my street And the thing was this, you couldn't tell the difference. You couldn't tell the difference between the church and these other community groups. So the big takeaway for me out of all of this is that as the church, in a society like ours, we need to give people the thing that no other community group can give them. And practical good works are good, but so a lot of other groups do that as well. So we need to make sure that while we do all those things, that we don't actually back away from the thing that differentiates us. And what's the thing that differentiates us? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power and the presence of God. Moses understood this. The Bible says that Moses was leading the people through the wilderness and at one point God had had enough of them. And he had said to Moses, he said, listen, I've had enough. He said, you can take the people into the promised land. I'll send my angel before you, but I'm not coming. I'm going to stay here in the wilderness. And then Moses says, well, if you stay here, and this is all in Exodus 33, 15. Moses says, well, if you stay in the wilderness, we're staying too. And God says, why? And he says, well, what will differentiate us? from all the other people groups on the face of the earth, lest your presence go with us. It's his power and his presence that differentiates us. And make no mistake, true Christ-likeness is actually demonstration of power. True Christ-likeness is more than being nice. I grew up in a church where the height of Christianity was being nice. And I think sometimes we were informed by little pictures that we would see of Jesus. Have you ever seen these paintings people did of Jesus? Where, you know, he had long blonde hair, White porcelain skin, long flowing robes, surrounded by children and little lambs. (laughs) I remember growing thinking up, Jesus must have been a hippie. (laughs) But he wasn't a hippie. He was a chippy. (laughs) He was a carpenter. And he wasn't always nice, but he was always powerful. You know, there's one passage, oh, sorry, one story which is in three of the Gospels. And it actually talks about when Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother in law. The Jesus I thought existed growing up, I would have interpreted it to go a little bit like this. Peter comes up to Jesus. Oh, Jesus? What's wrong, Pete? My mother in law, she's not doing so good. Really? Could you come and say a prayer for her? Of course. <laughs> Where is she? She's in here. Okay. Oh, how are you doing, sweetheart? <coughs> I'm not doing too good, Jesus. Oh, you poor thing. Somebody go make us some chicken noodle soup. Now, listen here. <laughs> I'm just going to say a little prayersy you with you and come and visit you in the morning. That's not what happened. This is what happened. Jesus goes to... Pe- Peter goes to Jesus. Jesus, what? My mother-in-law, she's sick. Where is she? Over here. In here? Okay. Get up. <laughs> now go get me a coffee. Because the Bible says she got up and served him. True Christlikeness isn't just being nice. True Christ-likeness is demonstration of the power and the presence of God. Amen. And the last one is this. The fifth lesson I learned. I learned more about myself. You know what you're really like under pressure. You don't know what you're really like when everything's going well. Bible says in James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That phrase testing of your faith actually means exposure of your faith. You see where your faith's at under trial. You don't see where your faith's at when everything's going well. And the thing I learned was this, that there were many, many times when I hit my limit, there were many, many times that whole year where I felt like I was done. People would say to me, what was 2011 like? And I would say, well, basically, it was like being in a headlock the whole year. And the whole year was just like I'm hitting brick walls. I'm, I'm in situations which I don't know how to handle. There's times when I'm feeling frazzled where I just want to, you know, curl up in a ball or just run away. There were so many times where I didn't know what to do. But my testimony is this, that each time I hit one of those points... God did something. You know, the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6, "Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit," says the Lord. I heard well-known Bible teacher Frank Damasio preach on that phrase "by my spirit." And he says that phrase "by my spirit" because I thought it meant that I don't have to do anything and God's going to do everything. But that's not what it means. Frank Damasio said that that phrase "by my spirit" basically means like when you're at full stretch, so it's kind of like an arch of bow and arrow. When you're at full stretch, when you're done, when you don't think you can go any further, that's when the Spirit of God moves. You know, the Holy Spirit is kind of like the ultimate personal trainer. Remember one time there was a guy in our church who was a personal trainer. He said, "Pastor Ben, I'll put you through a session." I said, "All right." So I went to his studio, and I got there and he's shuffling a deck of cards. I said, "What are we doing, mate?" He goes, "You're doing this deck of cards." I said, what does that mean? He says, well, I'm going to flip a card and you're going to do an exercise. I said, okay, uh, how do I know what to do? He says, well, when you see a heart, you've got to do push-ups. He says, when you see a diamond, you've got to do sit-ups. When you see a club, you've got to do an upright row. And when you see spades, you've got to do a shoulder press. I said, okay, how much do I do? He says, the number on the card's going to tell you said, so if you see five hearts, you're doing five push-ups. If you see seven diamonds, you're doing seven sit-ups. I said, right, uh, what about the picture cards? Jack, Queen and King. He goes, they're ten. I said, okay, so you've got aces one. No, no, aces 11. I said, right, how many cards am I doing? He said, you're doing the whole pack. <laughs> I said, what, 52 cards. He goes, no, he goes, no, 54 because there's two jokers. I said, so what are the jokers? He goes, When you see a joker, you've got to do 20 burpees. Those of you don't know what that is, you can tell by the response it's pretty bad. (laughs) And he goes, Your time starts now. And he's just flicking these cards out, and I'm doing the exercise. As I finish the next one, he flicks the next one out. There's no there's no break. Halfway through, I'm doing push-ups, and I'm this one. (laughs) I I can't get off the ground. (laughs) I thought, I'm done. And then he says to me, get up. So I got up. I thought, oh, good, finished. (laughs) Then he gets a towel and rolls it up and lies it down. I thought, that's nice. (laughs) He's giving me a towel. (laughs) He goes, get back in push-up position. I went back in push-up position and the towel was lengthways underneath my chest. He goes, go again. (laughs) I couldn't move. And then as I'm doing that, he grabs each side of the towel and lifts it up under my chest, helps me up. Again. Again. So basically, he spotted me and helped me to finish what he asked me to start. The Holy Spirit does that. When you feel like you're done, finished, through, can't go anymore, that's when his spirit moves. And he did that for me the entire year. One example was, I remember I was at home and had to see an insurance assessor. I'm working on a laptop and the battery starts going dead and uh, there's no electricity. And I thought, I want to fill out this claim. It's going to take me ages, but I've got no power. And I thought, well, I know one of our church campuses has a generator. Uh, that I can go and get a portable one and bring it back here. It's only 10 minutes away. So I thought I'll do that. And so I, I, I drove out, went and got the generator, picked it up, big thing, put it in the car, drive back to my street. Two kilometres from my house, I get there and the army has arrived and they're turning everyone away from our street. I thought they're turning away the people who don't live there. So I thought, I just drove up. I said, We're in the window down. I said to the soldier, I said, It's okay, mate. I live down here a couple of kilometres down the road. Because I'm sorry, sir, you can't drive down the road. I said, listen, I've got a generator here in my car. I need to be down there to see an insurance assessor. I said, it's a long way to walk. And, um, and I said, I am not, when I live here, I am one of the flood victims. He said, I'm sorry, sir, the council have said we cannot allow anybody on the road because they're removing debris and they're grading the road. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? He says, I'm sorry, sir, you're going to have to park your car and walk. So I parked my car, grabbed the generator, started walking. Big, heavy thing. Now, I don't know. I, that whole week, I was like in a daze. I, you know, I didn't know how much I'd eaten, how much I'd slept. Probably dehydrated. It was hot. But all I know is that I walked about 30, 50 metres. It got so heavy, I just put it down. Pick it up, put it down. I still had a cup nearly two kilometres to walk home. I was I was getting so frustrated. I was standing on this bridge over this creek and everything in me wanted to chuck the generator into it. (laughs) But I didn't because I knew who it belonged to. (laughs) And then for the first time, the thoughts start coming. Why me? Why'd you let this happen to me? Haven't I been serving you? Haven't I been obedient? Haven't I been doing everything you wanted me to do? Why'd you let this happen to me? Right at that moment, a gentleman with a purple T-shirt walks next to me and says, you shouldn't be carrying that, sir. Follow me. And he picks it up and starts walking. I said, okay. And then we just start walking. And then he walked to a group of people in purple T-shirts or a volunteer group from somewhere. And there's a guy there with a the wheelbarrow. He puts the thing in the wheelbarrow, generated the wheelbarrow and says to the man, Walk this gentleman home. And I said, okay. And he walked me all the way home. It doesn't sound like much, but it was to me. Every time I hit my limit, every time I was done, every time I was finished, every time I was through, God did something. And let me tell you who do the same thing for you as well. You might be feeling at your limit today. You might be feeling I'm done but you know you're not finished. He can strengthen you, he can enable you, and he can help you to continue and to complete the things that he's called you to do. Some of you who are learned people might say, thank you, Ben, for the testimony. Uh, What has it got to do with Genesis chapter eight? (laughs) The scripture I read at the start. Well, basically in Genesis chapter eight, there's a guy named Noah who's been through a flood. And we can't pick up the story where he's actually leaving his emergency accommodation called an ark. And he brings out of the ark his wife, his three sons and his pets. And the first thing he does is, because he lost his house, the first thing he does before uh, rebuilding his house and rebuilding his world is he establishes an altar. What is he doing? He's basically establishing and saying that God is a promise keeper. And he's testifying. He's testifying. I guess today that's what I'm doing. On behalf of my wife, my three sons and my dog, I just want to let you know God's a promise keeper. He'll never leave you or forsake you. When the enemy comes in like a flood, he'll raise a standard. Come hell or high water, he'll see you through. He's an awesome and he's a mighty God. Amen. We've been back in our home for a number of years now and everything was brand new. And people say to me, they say, They say, Ben, is there any more damage? I said, no, no, only damage is what my sons have caused. (laughs) And we've come through and when even I think about it, when I see that video of what I showed you, I look at that like it was another person. Everything in me is healed of that. I might have a scar that reminds me of it, but there's no pain attached. God can take you through things and take you out the other side. I think the reason why, one of the reasons why I've come through it emotionally unscathed is because I had the Lord in my life. I've had even people say to me that, they said, Ben, we knew you in 2011. We didn't even realise you were flooded. I said, why is that? They said, well, because you didn't act like a flood victim. And I said, well, to be honest, I felt like one. But all I know is this, that, that I would not have been able to come through, my family as well, and my sons and my wife, we would not have been able to come through it like we did if we didn't have the Lord in our side." And maybe you're here and you don't have the Lord in your life. You you don't have a relationship with Him. Can I be so bold as to say that you need to? Being a Christian doesn't mean you never have any struggles. Being a Christian doesn't mean you never have any problems. But it does mean you're never alone. And there's someone who's with you and can help you every step of the way. And everyone I know that knows the Lord would say this, that they can do better with Him in their life than they could without Him. And being a Christian means you get to go to heaven after you die, which is awesome, but you have a relationship with him right here on earth and he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll stick closer than a brother. No matter what valley you're going through, he'll walk through it with you and he can help you in this life. And so you might be here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I just ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads? If you're here, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you want to. If that's you, just slip up your hand and say, that's me. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I want to today. I want to give my life to Him. I want to have a relationship with God. You can have a relationship with Him right now. Religion is different from relationship. Religion is trying to do things to appease a distant God. relationship is a relationship with an intimate and a living and a loving God. And maybe you're here and you don't have that and you want that in your life. If that is you, slip up your hand and say, that's me. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to give my life to God this morning. Secondly, maybe you're here and maybe you didn't go through a flood, but you're going through your own trial. It's not the same as what I went through. Maybe it's something different. and Maybe it's more difficult than what I went through. I'm not trying to say what we went through is tougher than anything anyone else has gone through. I know there's a lot more tougher things in life than that. But maybe you're here and you're saying, I'm going through it. I'm struggling. I need the Holy Spirit to strengthen me once again. If that is you, right where you are, slip up your hand and say, that's me. That's how I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling that struggle. I need his spirit. You can put your hands up nice and high. There's a number of you. He wants to rejuvenate and refresh and strengthen you. Just like I was prophesied before, he's the breath of God. He breathes life into places that are dead. And you might feel dead and have no strength on the inside, but he can breathe life into you once again. So if that is you, slip up your hand and say, that's me. That's how I'm feeling. And if that's you, we're all family here. Could you just stand to your feet right where you are? Worship team, will you come? Those of you that put your hand up, could you just stand to your feet right where you are? There's a number of you. And just lift your hands to heaven. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these people that are standing. I pray for your strength. I pray for your breath. I pray for your touch. I thank you, Lord God, that you're going to do something awesome and mighty in them and through them. For this couple just standing here, I felt the Holy Spirit say that not only is He going to strengthen you, but He's going to perform miracles in your life. There are external forces causing unnecessary pressure on you that He did not put there the enemy put it there. God has allowed you to endure through it because he's done something in you, but now he's going to remove it from you and you're going to be able to be free to move on in the things God has for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you are removing those external circumstances that are causing unnecessary pressure. I thank you for that, Father, right now in Jesus' name. I release that anointing and I thank you for that miracle and that breakthrough I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand to your feet? Lift your hands to heaven. Father, I just thank you for your breath. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I just pray even now in Jesus' name that you would release that into their heart. Release that into their life. Rejuvenate them once again. You've prophesied, Lord, the breath of life over this church. The breath of life is that which brings life, that regenerates, that renews, that reinvigorates. And i release that upon the people of this church right now. I pray for a season and a time of refreshing that they're about to step into that's going to revitalize them like never before. I thank you and I praise you for it, Lord jesus name keep your hands raised we're going to worship god in this place his presence is here drink of his presence in this place he's an awesome and a mighty god